Amen. Amen. Well, guys, my name is David Walker. I have been a friend of The Fold and CJ and the lead team and Heath Williams and all these guys for, I don't know, what, almost a decade or something, something crazy, something really long. But my name is David Walker. Uh, I'm originally from this area, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. I've been, goodness, uh, a church leader, a worship leader for over two decades now. And Honestly, the thing that I'm learning how to do is recover my heart um, more than anything else. I've been a professional Christian for a really long time, and what the Lord has been doing over the last two months of my life is um, showing me what it means to be uh, liberated from my own success, liberated from my own uh, idea of significance, and um, learning how to recover getting back to the simplicity of living out of my heart um, and making decisions from that place, making um, uh, observations from that place rather than just leaning in my own uh, functionality of what I know to be familiar, true, and that kind of thing. So I'm honored to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, Normally, I have a guitar in front of me. Normally, I'm leading worship and singing songs. So if you see me kind of doing this right here, playing the air guitar or something like that. Just know that's part of my insecurity as I don't have a guitar instrument in front of me. So I'm excited to be with you guys, and I want to just continue on in this series that you guys have been in um, called Storied. I think it's an amazing, amazing series where we're looking at different passages of Scripture and recognizing the narrative of what God is doing in the lives of His people that He's calling out, that He's equipping, and that He's Um, moving into a specific uh, destiny and purpose for um, his kingdom to come here on the earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, this morning is no different. We're going to look at a story um, that's probably very familiar to a lot of you. It's in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to John chapter 4 with me. And we're going to be looking at this story. There's quite a bit of verses. I want to read the whole thing because in the Gospel of John, John is great at writing and he really, really wants a conclusion to every particular passage that he has. So I'm going to read 42 verses here this morning. So get ready, buckle in. It's going to take about five minutes. Are you ready? All right, awesome. All right, here we go. So John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And then the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, none of the disciples asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did, I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have no food to eat. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Some people imagine that God is most glorified when human participation is most excluded. Yet Jesus did not diminish his glory in the story one bit by asking for the help and cooperation of a Samaritan woman. 
This is really interesting. Jesus initiates the conversation by asking this woman to do something for him. Woman, give me a drink. As it worked toward the accomplishment of the divine purpose, the Father and the Son were most glorified in this display of love and goodness to the woman. Give me a drink. This is the first words out of Jesus' mouth when this conversation is initiated. He's not unaware that the way to gain a soul is often to ask a service of it. And all of this, I want you to see the paradox. As it reads at the very beginning, go back and look at verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. So right here, we see the one who is supposed to give rest to humanity is weary. The one who is Israel's Messiah who came to redeem the Jews is actually speaking to an outcast, a Samaritan. One who is considered an outsider for many, many reasons. This woman is... um, an outcast, she is going to this, this famous well um, at a time of day where likely most people would not see her because of the life that, the kind of life that she's living, the kind of choices that perhaps she's been um, forced into or um, drawn into. And here she finds this man asking for a drink. And what's so interesting is that um, she's, she's carrying with her what she knows. She's carrying with her a familiarity about her life and her narrative. In this story, uh, it's like any other day. It's like any other day where you'd wake up, you know what your routine is, you go and do your thing, and all of a sudden there's a divine interruption. I don't know if you've ever dri- been driving in a car, um, and you get in, you know where you're supposed to go, and you're so familiar with it that when you get to your destination, you get out of your car and then you think, how in the world did I just get here? I have no idea. I used to make a trek from my, my mom and dad's house to North Greenville University. That's where I went to school. And there are all these winding roads, back roads and everything. And I made the trek so much my junior and senior year. And I don't know how I did it because I literally felt like I was asleep driving behind the wheel. And I'd get out and I'd be like, how did I just spend the last 30 minutes in my car not paying any kind of attention to where I was going or what I was doing? It's just familiar. It's like normalized behavior moving in a direction and you become so familiar with it that you lose any sort of sense that anything outside the norm, normal would happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just like gone into this rote ritual kind of religiosity even, even when we think about spiritual things, like we just go through what we know to do um, and it becomes so normalized that we've, we've lost any sort of heart, um, heart reality that we, we are called to live out of. Have you been there? I've been there. Um, I, I'm actually there right now. Like I, I, I'm constantly looking for these like pseudo-transcendent experiences to find or gain some kind of like reconnection with God. Like this past summer was like the, 
the summer of like amazing experiences for me and my wife. My wife turned 40. We've been saving up for like 10 years. We flew to Italy. We spent 11 days in Italy. It was amazing. Then I come back and I'm like, all right, what's next? I mean, take my kids to the Coldplay concert. That's like check off the bucket list. It's like, ah, like a summer of a lifetime. We are just like living it. We're living our best life. And then like a month ago, I just realized like, oh man, like, I think this is what I would call burnout, but I'm not quite sure. I'm just really tired. I wake up every day, my feet hit the floor, and it's like, flip a coin. Is today going to be a good day or a bad day? I'm just going to go through what I know to go through. 50% of the time, it's a good day. 50% of the time, it's a bad day. Okay, something's not quite right here. So um, I've been to all kinds of different counseling and therapy and all these different things. So I reach out to a friend of mine, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know what's going on. I just I feel like I need, I need some kind of uh, intervention. <laughs> I need some kind of, like, help to, to help me along the way. So long story short, um, I connect with this doctor, and um, he's mutual friends of me, mine, another, another guy. And I'm talking to him on the phone. He's a good old boy. He's like, hey, David, how you doing, man? I heard about your story. What's going on? Let's connect. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And he's like, well, you know what? Just, just uh, meet me down at the Veterans Park in the city. I'm, I'm in, in Atlanta. I'm like, okay, Veterans Park in the city. I'll, when do you want to meet? He's like, just come on down there. I'm walking the track at like 3 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. You can just walk with me, and we can process some stuff. I'm like, all right. So <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I'm Googling in Google Maps, like Veterans Park, um, and it's in Buckhead. And Buckhead is like the bougiest place in Atlanta, right? I'm driving down to Buckhead on a Sunday afternoon. The weather's great. In my mind, I have this really lofty idea of what this, this therapist guy looks like. He's, his, his southern twang was kind of throwing me off a little bit, but still in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy's going to give me all the strategies, all the stuff. He's going to give me all this insight and all this, like, wisdom and knowledge that I need to like shift my heart back into this place of, you know, doing what I feel called to do. So I get to this veterans park in Buckhead and I'm looking around, I'm across the street from Whole Foods and Jenny's ice cream and Lululemon and all these like restaurants and nice places and everything. And I call him and I'm like, Hey man, I'm down here at veterans park. Um, I'm in front of Brash Coffee and across the street from Whole Foods. And he's like, you're where? And I was like, I'm in Buckhead, man. I'm, I'm here to meet you. And he's like, you're in Buckhead? He's like, man, I'm in Hog Mountain Road, Veterans Park in Oconee County. And I was like, where is that? <laughs> the antithesis of Buckhead. The antithesis of bougie in Buckhead. So I'm like, well, how far is that? I Google it on Google Maps. It's like an hour and a half away. So I'm like, man, this isn't going to work. Fast forward next Sunday, I was like, man, we're, we're just going to have to reconnect next Sunday. So next Sunday afternoon, I get in my car and I drive 30 minutes into like the most obsolete, like bland, nothing bougie, super barren. It's like farmland and like open fields and just nothing. And then I pull up to this tiny little park called Veterans Park. And here's this tiny little old man who drives up in a 1992 Nissan truck and he gets out 
And I think I had the same outfit on because I was like leading worship that morning. And I, he gets out in his jogging shorts and his sneakers. And he's like, David, tell me about yourself. Let's go for a walk. And for the next like hour, I'm just like unloading. Like, this is how I feel. This is what I'm, I'm sensing. I'm, I just feel this. I feel that. And he's like, man, it just it doesn't really sound like you're burnt out. It just sounds like you're stuck. It just sounds like you need to reconnect with the Father and knowing your beloved identity as a son. It sounds like you just need to remember that anytime you look for external realities to define your spirituality, there's always going to be a deficit. Always. Um, I'm, I'm... I said that, but that's more or less what he said. My point in all of that was like, first week, bougie and buckhead, thinking this guy's going to just, you know, knock my socks off with wisdom and um, insight and strategy. And the next week, it's bland, simple, this father figure who's unassuming, who just comes in and says, let me remind you that you continue to look outward and what I think the Holy Spirit's telling you to do is to look right here. Um, And the invitation, I think, for me in that moment wasn't to try to find some tool, to try to find some resource, to try to find some rhythm. It was simply me recognizing I'm I'm a beloved son of God um, and I know that up here but I haven't sat still long enough in my familiarity to recognize it here again. So I share that because this is in contrast, not in contrast, but in complement to what is happening here with this woman as she's going through her day and she's entering into this conversation, this moment in her story that I think is so crucial for us to um, pay attention to. So there's a couple of things that I want to give you guys that um, I'm, I'm extrapolating from this, from this story here. Um, the first is I want us to notice that Jesus makes a shift in what I think his intent was to do. Um, when he began to notice rivalry and competition from the Pharisees. Who's baptizing more people? This is what caused him to move into Samaria in the first place. And if you're a Jewish person, particularly if you're a pious Jewish person, the shortest route back to Galilee was through Samaria. But if you were pious and prideful, you would actually not go through Samaria. You would take the long route to avoid the people there because they were ostracized. But Jesus enters into Samaria because he knew the need that was there. So from one woman comes this amazing evangelical like movement, evangelistic movement where he speaks life into her and she goes and tells the village. It's amazing. So that's the first thing that that we want to recognize that rivalry and competition tend to shift the focus of Jesus, not toward it, but away from it. Um, the next thing 
that I want us to notice is um, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's still thinking logical and she's still thinking physical. Jesus is saying, living water, this is what I have to give you. And she's still thinking tools, resources, um, strategies. She's still thinking in the physical. She's like, if you can give me this, um, please give me this so I don't have to keep coming here, so I don't have to keep working. The response of, of this woman uh, is logical. It's not spiritual. She wanted to avoid the work of coming to the well every day. It was as if she responded, Jesus, if you want to make my life easier and more convenient, please do it. I'm all in for it. Give it to me. But the moment she inquires of the water, like, give me this, is the moment it starts to expose her life. That's a big shift there. So verse 15, she says, I want this. I want this. And then the shift happens. Verse 16, go, call your husband and come back. Now, some scholars think this is like um, Jesus embarrassing her. Um, Other scholars think that this was actually a a cultural um, politeness that Jesus was extending to her. Like, if you were at the well, when women would come to a well, like normally someone would accompany them, um, more more or less like a a husband um, or a group of people. But as soon as she asks for living water, the conversation turns to her life. And then Jesus will now tell her everything she's ever done. I mean, it's just talking about her husbands there, but for some reason, she goes back to the village and says, this man told me everything I had ever done. She later puts it. Then having been seen by Jesus, she sees him differently, and the conversation takes another turn. So when Jesus says to her, go call your husband, she begins to see Jesus differently. She says, oh, I see you're a prophet. I see that you can see beyond what's just right in front of me. This is the turn that, that moves it from logical and reason to spiritual and, and wisdom. So um, although Jesus knows everything about this woman's life, um, indeed, like he knows everything about all of us, Um, What's really interesting is that there is no word of judgment. There's no word of judgment or even encouragement to change her life. This is important. Like when we read it, we think like, man, Jesus is really exposing her sin. Jesus is really judging her lifestyle. But it will take a lot for us to, when we read it, actually extrapolate that. We want to see that. But here's what's really interesting. What is life-changing for the woman is, according to her, that she has been entirely known by him. And this being known has enabled her to know him. Her being known by Jesus is enabling her to know him. The story, her story, is about her being able to begin to see who he is, being given the gift of that truth that leads to real worship 
and becoming a conduit for living water. It's about her only insofar as it is about who he reveals himself to be to her. So he doesn't judge. He doesn't um, condemn. He simply extrapolates parts of her story and she feels completely known. It's beautiful. So beautiful. I think it's important too that we recognize that um, when we are when we are pursuing our our own journey with Jesus, um, when we like I was saying before, when we look at externals, when we look at our tribe, when we look at the people that we have affinity toward or with, when we start to define our spirituality, our Christian walk with Jesus around that before we define it with what's going on in here inwardly, we will always find ourselves disappointed because we place expectations on our community more than what's going on in our own heart when it comes to communion with the Father. Is it necessary for us to be connected to community 100%? Is it, um, is it wise or or smart for us to place expectations on our community that they will never meet um, so that we can have a deeper spirituality? Probably not. Um, the letdowns that I've had in my spiritual walk have been where I've placed something that I've needed in my heart from Christ, um, and I put that on the community. I put that on a leader. I put unrealistic expectations on a leader or a person that I thought was smarter than me or further ahead down the road than me. And all of a sudden, I'm let down. Um, And the truth of that is that when we are walking in community with one another, this is why mutuality and discipleship and mutuality and and connection is so important. Because CJ might be on a very different part of his story and journey than I am. But as we walk together, we're edifying one another, challenging one another, sharpening one another. But I'm not placing expectation on him for to meet something that only Christ can meet in my heart and life. Does that make sense? Yeah? It's so crucial and important as we think about this. And I think the beauty of this being a Samaritan woman is that she is an outsider. Like, there's some perspective that we gain when we, when we, we choose to take a look at our community and, and kind of put ourselves in the position of an outsider there's almost like a gift that comes where the familiar all of a sudden isn't quite familiar anymore. And there's a gift of interruption and a gift of, of being able to see something a little differently when you posture yourself as um, someone from the outside looking in. Yes, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Yet the Samaritans welcome Jesus and proclaim him to be not the Jewish Messiah, but the Savior of the world. So, reason and logic versus faith and wonder. Uh, She left her water jar. She asked Jesus what tools he has to draw the water with. And the focus for her was on the how and not the why. And then as as he calls her out, 
she begins to see that the how becomes less important than the why. Don't just draw from what is familiar, ask for what is fresh. You know, when I first started to give CJ the um, passage here, my, my go-to when I start talking about this passage is spirit and truth. It's the longest conversation in the Bible that Jesus has, and the conversation is about worship. Actually, the conversation is, yeah, it's about worship, but it's also about presence. It's also about being here now, like being in the reality of the present so that you can respond in spirit and in truth. The hard part for churches, um, true worshipers, isn't uh, spirit and truth. It's that and that's right there in the middle of it. We want spirit or truth. Spirit and truth is what's really hard for us. To be connected to the Holy Spirit and to also enter into that place of deep truth that he wants us to live into. And so, yeah, being able to not just draw from the familiar, but ask for what is fresh. Getting caught up in principles and systems of what you've always known Don't let the tools and the principles you learn along the way rob you of the enjoyment of the process and its outcomes. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't let spiritual tools and principles that you learn in your spiritual life rob you of the enjoyment of the process. In other words, let the tools serve the process, not the other way around. There's a difference in principles, and presence. The presence of God. Yeah, a a book that we open up to read so many times, we want pragmatic faith. So we open up this, we study this, we're called to pursue understanding of this. Um, So many friends now that I have, they want certainty out of this. They want certainty. They want certitude. They want uh, all of their answers or all of their questions to be answered. They want certainty over faith. This is not a book of certainty. This is a book of faith, right? And if faith is what we're called to, and if faith is what pleases God, that's what it says in Hebrews, it's impossible to please God without what? Without faith. Okay, so if, if we're not leaning into a place of faith where things with our natural eyes don't make sense, we might be trying to figure this thing out like puzzle pieces in a puzzle. And I think the Holy Spirit's saying, like, it's not a puzzle. It's not a puzzle that we're trying to put together. It's a journey of faith where you get to enjoy and you get to follow Jesus. We don't follow the model of the Samaritan woman. We don't even follow the model of the Israelites. Our standard is to follow Jesus. And we'll never get to the place that Jesus got to, but if we're called to follow Jesus and he's our standard, then surely we can't just pursue understanding. Surely we must also embrace a mystery. Surely we, we, must, we must be having things in our life when we're seeing what's in front of us, it doesn't make sense. And God's saying, perfect. That's exactly where I want you. Perfect. Like it's faith. 
Don't let your logic and reason and pragmatism pull your faith down to the natural. Let faith, let that gift of faith in you pull the, pra- pull the pragmatic and the reason up. There's nothing wrong with logic and reason. It just gets sideways when you start using logic, reason, and, and certainty um, to replace faith. So faith, when it comes to faith, when it comes to the, the ways that we follow Jesus, if faith is out of the equation, then I want to ask the question, are you actually following Jesus? Or are you following principles that we can read in here and they're formulated, they're formulaic. Like if we follow the principles of scripture, this will happen. But I think there's something beyond that that allows us to step into this beautiful mystery. And as 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds, 60 year olds, like I never want to get past the point in my spiritual life where I become independent. Like when I raise my kids, the point of raising my kids is to teach them to grow up, get mature, get responsible, get independent, and get out of my house. <laughs> like get out, go, you're doing it on yourself, Do it, doing it on your own now. But it's backwards in the kingdom. It's backwards in the kingdom. Like as we grow in maturity, how quick are we to depend? Not how quick are we to like, I got this, let me do it. That is not the way of the kingdom. Are you following me here, guys? Like, when was the last time you confronted something in your life in the day-to-day ordinary, and all of a sudden, Jesus is like, you need to ask for living water right now because what you see in front of you, you will not be able to do in your own independence. You have to ask for living water. So here this woman is still fighting with whether or not this is something that she can understand or not. There's stumbling blocks here of locations in worship and, you know, how does this all work and what is it that I need to do to receive this living water? Ask. Ask for it. So, how much, how much more time do I have? Are we, we, we're, yeah, we're getting close. Okay. So, yeah. It's the, the two more things, guys. Um, religion and relationship. Those two things can coexist together. I don't want to create a, a false dichotomy. But when we consider religion, let's consider the symbol in this story. The symbol in this story, the, the prominent physical location in this story is the well. I've been to Jacob's well. There are so many like barricades around it now, like barricade after barricade after barricade. There's people who come and get their pictures taken in front of it. They're shining, you know, their phones to see if they can see the bottom of it. You can still drink from the well today. Um, the significance of that well was, was one of long history and, and uh, story of what had taken place over decades and decades. And she was coming to that well uh, for something sustenance, for some sustenance, but also significant. Um, and, and here Jesus raises the bar and religion is just like drawing from a really prominent, memorable well that was known for its past and known for what happened throughout the centuries there. But Jesus is saying, don't just think about the past. Don't just continue to cling to the past. 
come into the present and see that through all the religious traditions and all those things you've been doing, see beyond that. See past that into who's right in front of you. So the invitation, I think, for us today is found in that, in verse 13 and 14. Jesus says this, um, everyone, this is what he tells the woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, anyone, whoever, us, anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So some of you might object, right? You're like, I drank of what Jesus offered. I've had a sip of what Jesus gave me a long time ago when I um, came, came to know him as my savior. I've asked Jesus into my life. I, I've, I've drank from that, from that water, from what he has to offer me and look at my life. Look at it. Like things are broken and fractured and fragmented and messed up. I, I drank from what Jesus had to offer and I still feel thirsty I still feel empty. Here's the answer. It's really simple and you might not like it. Drink again. Drink again. It isn't a one-time sip of Jesus that satisfies forever. It is a continual connection with that gift that he offers. And that gift, that living water, is the gift of his spirit. It's the gift of his spirit that calls us into a place of abundant living. Now, abundant living isn't all is well and right with me. Abundant living is recognizing that in the midst of pain, heartache, suffering, we have our yes. And our yes is to continue to ask for the promise of the gift of God, which is the living water. The living water. So I'm going to ask the worship band to come back up for one more song, if that's okay. Um, and the invitation this morning, if you need to come and just kneel at your, your seat, if you need to journal, if you need to write on uh, maybe just a, a prayer or a picture there, something in the journal here, or if you just need prayer, I'm, I'm right here. I'd love to pray with you for just that, that measure of living water to rise back up in you. Um, I believe that God continually wants to fill us. You know, he wants to, to give us a perpetual overflow in our life of his, his gift, of his spirit. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. So, Lord, I just pray that um, these words that we read in, in your scripture this morning, that they would not be void but that they would um, penetrate hearts, they would penetrate souls, and that the, the layer of um, veneer that we have on the outside, that you'd crack through that and that you'd speak into the deeper places of our soul. Um, and just today, Lord, right now, in, in this present moment, in our own way, we ask. We ask for that living water to spring forth in us, to bubble up in us. We don't want it to be circumstantial. We want it to be because we believe and we have faith.
that you are who you say you are. So help us in that, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are the comforter and the counselor. We ask these things in your name, Jesus.